Looking for someone? And welcome once again to the Red Dwarf Intro Cast, where we talk about Red Dwarf episode by episode. Longtime fans and newbies alike journey together on the mining ship Red Dwarf into the farthest, darkest reaches of underpants uh, or space. Either one. My name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Paul. I'm Darren. I'm Les. Hello. Um, so Shane, yes, Shane cannot be with us. Uh, this week because he has space um, mumps. He has space, and he's mumps. in quarantine. <laughs> he is in quarantine with half a chest set. You know that's an interesting point. When he had space mumps, he was not in quarantine. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, already pointing out crap like that instead of talking about. So yeah, Shane, he is uh, he's dealing with some health stuff. He should be back uh, next week. We're hoping. Um, but in the meantime, we have not one but two guests. That is right, two. That's you know. Twice the the value for your money that that you don't send. You buy which one, one, you which one is the high guest and which one is the low guest? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask that. Really. Look, I'm I'm morphed here for Shane, so I'm Shane technically. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess geographically speaking, Darren would have to be the low guest because <laughs> <laughs> he's down under. I'll pay that one. So, oh. Is that he is actually recording this podcast with us whilst wearing suspenders. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I'll just share that with everyone. Okay, goodness. So we've, we've, like, two minutes and we haven't even said anything yet. We're awesome. We uh, are. So this, this week, uh, yeah, uh, welcome back, Darren, and thanks for filling in last minute for Shane. And, Russ, good to have you with us. Uh, we're going to talk this week. And it's going to be a bit of a different kind of episode. Um, usually, you hear me rambling on for hours and hours, and you know the rest sort of piping in here and there. Well, and it's this awesome. Week, yeah, and and everybody is like, yeah, you know, needs more Shane and more Paul and, and less Heath. Well, I agree, frankly. So this week, that's what we're going to do. Uh, Russ is going to kind of take the lead this episode because season five, episode five, demons and angels was not just an episode. It was the episode that Russ was there. He was there for the filming, in the flesh. I uh, got to meet the cast, and if you will look on our Facebook page, there are awesome pictures of of tiny, tiny Russ so hanging cute. out. So cute. Yes. And so you look he, so nervous, Russ. You really do. I'm <laughs> more nervous now. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, some of the um, the inside stories here. Oh, Nettie just posted a picture of Angela's cat. Oh my god, I've oh, got to see this. i got to see this. Okay. It looks awesome! Okay, oh, if you haven't on, been keeping fresh. up with our Facebook group, um, Nettie Nuchas has been one by one, uh, <gasps> posting pictures of all of us as various Red Dwarf characters. Uh, I as Meghead Rimmer, uh, Paul as Lister, and now Angela is Cat, and eventually she will come out with Shane as, uh, Holly. Uh, Holly. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, wow. It looks so good. This is the best thing I've ever seen ever. So. <laughs> this is my avatar for everything from now on. 
eventually I'm going to have to change my avatar because I'm about to enter the job market again, and right now it's me in a Jedi costume. And <laughs> while I'm not ashamed of my Jedi costume, it might not be the image that I want to present. Employment-seeking um, you are. Yeah. <laughs> I am the candidate we're looking for. <laughs> you don't want to throw my resume away. Um, yes. Five minutes and we've yet to say anything. Awesome. This is a record. Let's see if we can keep this up. No, um, no. But but this is epic. This picture is epic. Is epic. So Russ <laughs> is going to uh, take the lead this episode. So to get started, um, we will have, I guess, Paul read the episode synopsis. And then Russ, if you would like to introduce yourself a bit and uh, just sort of lead us through uh, the episode. <clears throat> okay. Demons and Angels. An experiment with, mach- with a machine that can make duplicates of an object goes wrong and the Red Dwarf explodes. Where the Red Dwarf crew find the machine has made two copies of Red Dwarf. Both ships contain their good and evil selves. Evil selves, I should say. Good and evil awesome. pot noodles. And, oh yeah, we have to... So, last week we made our guesses. Now, I was guessing an interstellar biker gang, and I, w- I was wrong. But we did almost hit on this. Mm-hmm. Angela talked about having an angel on one shoulder and a demon in the other. I talked about how the show would be, like, really... They like to have fun by making, like, a, a demon lister and an angel lister and etc. And, and having different versions of the characters. So like, between the two of us, we sort of almost hit on where they were going. Except no, not really. Except not really. <laughs> well, you said, but you've been pretty close for several episodes. You said to have one where you were far away, just the Lord of Averages. Well, we did, however, spot in this episode that one of our grand predictions apparently is true. <laughs> Which one? Did anybody notice Evil Cat's uh, costume? Made out it of appears to be fur. made out of mismatched cat fur. <clears throat> what? What? <clears throat> yeah. I like to think of Evil Cat as fearless Neanderthalus. Yes. <laughs> cat the Destroyer killed his entire race and made clothes out of them. Yep. Anyway, okay. As promised, I'm going to shut cat. up now. Uh, Russ, tell the, the nice listeners a bit about yourself and uh, how you came to be at the filming of this episode and sort of walk us through. Okay, then. Right, where to start? Well, so, yeah, I've been a Red Dwarf fan ever since I was a nipper. My mother took me on a surprise trip by train. I can't remember if it was a birthday surprise or not. I think it was. Um, I was bored on the train, and um, I asked for some clues to find out where I was going, but she wouldn't tell me. Uh, the clue she gave me was um, fishing in space. <laughs> uh, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Well, at, the, at that point, my Red Dwarf memory banks weren't as full or fast as they were nowadays, and I didn't actually guess from that clue where I was going. So we pulled up outside Shifting Studios, and the first thing I noticed was a big building with a huge Thomas Thomas the Tank Engine sign. Um, I was also a big fan of Thomas the Tank Engine, engine when I was a kid, so that, I partly thought that's why, why I was going to be there. Um, have any of you heard of Thomas the Tank Engine? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. He's big over here. And he. Yeah. My uh, my little sister, when she was just a, a wee thing, then, yeah, she was all into Thomas the Train toys. And, and my, my nieces, I think, still, they dig the Thomas. Yeah. Uh, I, I was quite a big fan of it, and I liked the models. It wasn't CGI. I had Ringo Starr narrating. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was Mr. Conductor Man. Then they made that horrible movie with Alec Baldwin as Mr. Conductor. And it, I, uh, spark, spark, sparkle. <laughs> 
No, Darn right, Sparkle, Sparkle. I didn't see that. You didn't miss much. <laughs> okay, so we entered the building, and at this point I still didn't know what, what was happening. And we walked down a long corridor, and there was a big reception desk, and my mother talked to someone. And then when I turned around, I saw Rimmer sitting on a chair outside of a studio door. I was very starstruck and tried to hide. He was watching me from a distance, and I could tell by the expression on, on his face, he wondered why, you know, this kid was sitting here. Oh. And then we were still waiting at the reception and Hattie walked, walked up and started speaking to me. Oh. Um, I can't remember, you know, word for word what she said, but she asked um, what my favourite episode of Red Dwarf was. Um, again, at that point, I was quite young and I didn't know every episode title. And so I tried to describe it and I'll describe it for you and it'd be interesting if you can guess which episode it is. Um, I said at the beginning there was a big spider moving around and um, mm-hmm. messing about with wires. Oh, it's been a little while on that one. I can't remember the episode name. Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, it was. Uh, it hasn't been that long. That was spider was Crichton's hand and it was crawling around. Um, wait a minute. How could you have seen that one? That wouldn't have been, even been aired. I'm off, aren't I? Yeah, it's because my description was actually wrong, and that's that's why she didn't actually know the episode I was talking about. Um, it was actually the beginning of Body Swap, and we see a scatter. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Tearing all the wires out of the ship, and that's what I tried to describe, and I, for some reason I said spider. But, um, well, there you go. But, yeah, I can't blame her for not knowing the episode when I said it. Anyway, uh, so yeah. Uh, then a, a chap called Ben came out, and um, he was going to be my guide for the day. I've looked on IMDb and he doesn't appear in the credits, so I'm guessing he was a stagehand. It was quite friendly. Um, so he gave us a tour of the studio, um, but not the set yet. Um, we walked outside and I had my photo taken in front of that giant Levi button, which you can see in the Facebook group. I think that's because they filmed an advert there previously. <laughs> it, was just, it was just sitting there and it was too good to miss. Um, then I went into the dressing room. And I got to wear some of the Red Dwarf clothes, and I had a photo taken with my Rimmer hat and one of Crichton, Crichton's gloves on. I see that here, yeah. So cute. Yeah. I, I don't think it was an actual hat that Rimmer wore, because um, the H was actually like stuck on with um, tape or something. It, it doesn't quite match what he wore in the series, but it was interesting. Perhaps it was a proper a design. Mm-hmm. But, but nonetheless, I did get to look at all the costumes, which was interesting. <clears throat> I uh, walked a bit farther around and um, saw Robert Llewellyn having his Crichton makeup put on. He already had the mask on, but they were putting makeup on top of the mask, which is interesting. Uh, I don't think he had the suit on because um, I think he was going to be putting on the the robe that he wears later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, like, wouldn't the makeup get on the black suit? Yeah. Then we um, we then we actually went into the studio and sat and we sat down. Now I've got here. I think we should start talking about the episode, and I'll and I'll interject with any story bits that are relevant as we go along. I've got a few little anecdotes, and as you can imagine, they don't film the whole episode in a day, so mm-hmm. I was only there for a portion of it. Yeah. A, lot, yeah. a lot of this episode was done in pre and post production too. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah, but it's already sounding like one of the most awesome birthdays ever. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I'm cool. you. I've scripted myself a bit because I'm not the best speaker, but uh, I'm okay. to be free flowing and please, please interrupt and you know as we normally do. When do I ever not interrupt? <laughs> Angela, when does he not interrupt? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, 
And there's nothing wrong with having crib notes. That's that's perfectly fine. You should see how many I've got there. <laughs> yeah, I started out podcasting by taking all these meticulous notes, and now I sort of knit while I watch the episode <laughs> and look at a script later. I'm an awful person. Well, I only started researching specifically for this show about two hours ago, and I've got a full scope page full of them, so a legal... Okay. Legal-sized paper, I think the Americans call it. I know you mean. Well, in the opening scene, we see Lister admiring the last known strawberry in the universe before placing it on the trip locator. Uh, Crichton gives the order, and Lister hits some buttons on the keyboard, and we see two new strawberries appear like magic. Uh, then Remma walks in, and we find out just what they were doing, and that is experimenting with the matter paddle to make a cloning device to help their supply, supply problems. Totally Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So I guess this confirms then that if this is their only replicator thing, then like, um, then the chicken soup machine really did just like have a vat of chicken soup that it squirted out. It wasn't like science typically creating chicken soup. Yeah. Remember, they've only just made this replicator too, or triplicator. Yeah. Yeah. So. See, like I had originally assumed that there was that kind of technology, but yeah, I guess not. Yeah, in the books, there's like a mention of, um, They've got floors and floors and floors of supplies. And, um, yeah. We don't ever get to see that up until now in the episodes, but... Um, Irradiator haggis. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. And goat vindaloo. I did wonder, however, that if the matter that is triplicated disappears after an hour, and you eat your replicated <sighs> strawberries, yeah. and then it disappears into nothingness... Then, or I mean, or does it just like break down or break down into energy or or like how would that work if you ate something that was going to dissolve? Well, maybe if you metabolized it quickly enough, then maybe you would be able to. Would the tiny bits of energy that you had metabolized dissolve too and just starve yourself to death by eating food that disappears like leprechaun gold? Well, it should be pointed out, Craig, but Craig Charles has obviously got absolutely no taste buds because he actually did bite into the ranch of strawberry. <laughs> well, we know that his taste buds have been destroyed, the characters, has with, like, Vindaloo stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like good food for dieters, doesn't it? That you won't ever put any calories on because it would just in. <laughs> that would be awesome. It's like red dwarf oh bulimia. I would eat so much replicated pizza. <laughs> you have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I don't swallow anymore. I just replicate it, and it just dissolves away. <laughs> That's horrible. Anyway. Yeah, oh. but but I'm just wondering. Okay, if if you could like um it, like eat the food, but if you kept replicating the best versions of it, ah. would you? Would you create an evolved strawberry? Mm. I think strawberries are already perfectly evolved. Oh, true, true. <laughs> yeah, if, if you if you replicated a perfected strawberry, then it would be broken down into a super perfect strawberry and a still good but less perfect strawberry, and then you replicate the best one again. I, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Hyper evolution. And um, we should also point out this in during the filming stage. This show was um, originally called Highs and Lows. So whenever you see this cast referring to it, often they'll refer to it as highs and lows rather than demons and angels. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, so far we've gotten 30 seconds into the episode and 18 <laughs> minutes of talk. <laughs> <laughs> roll, roll right along here. 
Or we get our first clue with the fact that the first strawberry is succulent and divine and the second isn't very nice. And we find out what that is. Oh, it's kind of tangy and meaty. Mm, boy, get you some protein that way. Actually, yeah, what he's covered, I've got on my notes here about Red Dwarf creating food from stocks rather than on Star Trek and being created on a molecular level. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's where things go wrong. Lister's an idea. As usual, it's a bad one. He wonders what would happen if the process was reversed. Presumably, he is thinking along, along the lines that the triplicator may re- reform the two new strawberries back into the original normal one. But as soon as he hits the return key, the poop hits the fan and the ship starts to self-strap. Poor ship. Yeah, I thought he said ship. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we get lots of flashing lights and Holly appears and all our words are mixed up. Nobody yeah, steal wondered, those words, those are mine. I wondered for a bit why they did this. And I guess they needed that version of Holly to be corrupted so that it makes sense that Holly, as part of Red Dwarf, was reformed into one working Holly again. I, I don't know. I got a bit confused as to the whole... I mean, if it was just for a one-off gag, sure. But I, I, I was confused as to what of Red Dwarf was replicated and what was not and whether Holly was part of that. Well, they'd already been replicated, like, right before it exploded. Yeah. Also, I was thinking, if Holly is actually making sense, she may well have solved the problem before it happened. So it's an excuse to, there's a reason for the ship to explode because Holly wasn't able to save it. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Good point. That's what I thought anyway. That works. It's accounted for. It has it been is. accounted for. <laughs> we see Starbug lifting off as, because they're escaping, and um, everything's falling apart. And then they fly towards the cargo bay doors, which are closed, and Holly doesn't recognise the phrase. And so they're a bit worried that they're going to crash. And they do. Right, they smash right through it. And um, It's very nice model work, isn't it? They're very proud of their model work. It's really good. I I always enjoy the models. Mm -hmm. I do question, however, that they keep Starbug prepped with five hours of fuel and seven minutes of air. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's Cat's job to uh, fuel Starbug, and sure. he he was distracted by his fish necklace. Like I've seen the size of Starbug, and even if it were completely airtight, there's more than seven minutes of oxygen in there. So they were like actively pumping oxygen out <laughs> to make sure that the inside of Starbug was a vacuum, just in case they had to go anywhere. And also, uh, Rimmer has no battery packs in there. <laughs> Although I totally saw a spacesuit behind Rimmer, so what? Did they not keep oxygen in those either? Nah, they they pump that out. <laughs> so my my uh, disbelief was was uh, straining it with the suspension there. Well, the, the, the spacesuits are pretty shiny. Maybe they're not confident that Cat hasn't sort of harvested them for bits for his clothes. Mm-hmm. Baby, baby, <laughs> as he did with his people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that upsets Elfie. Did you hear that? I know. Yes. It's not, up, not too upset. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all right. I'm a cat owner. I understand. Well, I should say a cat servant. Hey. There you go. Uh, Elfie, you've already chewed up one of my headphones. Don't chew up a new one. Okay. So moving on. Yeah, next we see Lister trying to assure everyone that the ship is going to be fine because there's lots of fail-safe and things. And as soon as he starts to say it, the ship explodes in his face. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask Shane and Paul and Darren 
but um, Jim's not here. But um, yeah, they went all they went to all the efforts of building a new Red Dwarf model, only to blow it up again a few months later. Well, that's actually the original model that gets blown up on on that show. It's, um, the the big seven foot, absolutely beautifully detailed one. Which yeah, is, I, I, which I thought that they had dropped. Oh wait, was it was it Red Dwarf or the Starbug that they had broken the original model of? The original Starbug was broken at this point. Yeah. Okay. Because Craig okay. Charles looked at it. So after the big explosion, the crew are all standing around wondering what to do, and Crichton comes in to tell everyone that they're doomed because the nearest asteroid with a breathable atmosphere is six hours away, but they only have enough fuel for five hours flight. And, and as he's mentioned, the oxygen is going to run out in seven minutes. But Rimmer has a good idea, because he thinks when Lister and the cat suffocate to death, that they can flash their bodies into space, which will lighten the load and allow them to release, release the asteroid. Yes, Rimmer's, oh, Rimmer's subtlety is not his best point, is it? Yeah, yeah I love his, hey, but, like, quietly, that won't pertain to us, will it? I'm going to preempt tech here. Yes, we do understand that this is pretty poor understanding of conservation of energy theory. I mean, it doesn't make sense that there's no weight in space to make the ship any lighter. And there's no weight in space, and they have artificial gravity. And you just have to point yourself, put put the engines on long enough to move yourself, then you only need the engines again when you want to slow down. So Yeah. Yeah. Unless you go into hyperdrive, then that's a whole other thing. Well, there's one more little plot hole there. And the idea of reaching the breathable asteroid only makes sense if the cat and Lister are alive. And it doesn't need to get to the breathable one anyway. Yeah. So, it's all null and void. I was a bit of a precocious child pointing out plot holes in everything my parents were watching. As they used to point out to me, we're not supposed to think of those things. Yeah, I couldn't help but do that. I, I, I rewatched the episode again today. And I just saw lots and lots of different plots. I was like, well, that's silly. That happened. That happened. And I was just like, oh, dear. But see, <laughs> I I never really look at those things. Like, I guess oh. I just grew up suspending my disbelief firmly. We're going to have to withdraw your nerd membership card. <laughs> no, no, because I will point out weaknesses in plot and character, yeah. <laughs> out of character moments. Like oh. narrative matters to me rather than the sciencey things. Like as long as it helps the story, I'm cool with it. I'm an English major. Yeah, but this is the thing. You what? This is the first time you've watched it, so you're obviously you're just engrossed in the story of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Once you've watched it more than what ten times. Like I have, you'll get you'll, <laughs> you get you get to notice the, the you'll you'll spot that you'll spot them eventually. Unless there are oh. things that are just so glaring that I'm like, okay, really. Yeah, it's like I watched it today for um with a sci-fi hat on and not a literal. What does the sci-fi hat look like? Um, <laughs> it has uh, robotic ears instead of um black Mickey Mouse ones. <laughs> And when you pull the strings, they don't clap. They go. And while we're on the topic of plot holes, as a Star Trek fan, I have to put my hand up. It's the, the science in Star Trek is often absolutely ludicrous. Oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. So. It turns out the joke's on Rimmer anyway because his battery backup isn't working and um, he's going to be dead in under four minutes. 
Mm-hmm. What, an, what annoyed me about this is like a couple of minutes later, he stood there and he's glowing, and he, he's in that pose where it's he's like he's like yes, I'm a mannequin now, my arms what? are locked and they're at a forty five degree angle, and oh my god, I'm glowing. Well, that's because they cut his power like to bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, to extend his life force. Like, um, Lister said that, which props to Lister for suddenly, you know, being the captain. That's true. Yeah, he did sort of step up. Yeah, he's like, take charge. He's been take charge the whole episode. Except, you know, when he's being remote controlled. But <laughs> but even yeah. then, like, Lister was completely competent in this episode. Can I, can I ask, right, I know, is me asking question, is me being the, not the newbie, right? But with the knowledge that Lister has got since being with the Cat Rimmer and, and Crichton, if he'd have applied that whilst he was on Red Dwarf to begin with, he would have been a higher person than a, a, a third technician. Because he's controlling the triplicator. He was, um, a couple of episodes ago, he's, he's working the computer trying, when, when, um, Ace Rimmer turned up, he's working the computer saying, oh, I don't know what's going on. He's, he must have learnt something from somewhere. Well, you know, it could be that, I mean, because all of the officers' exams seem to be like academic tests, like sit in the room, take the test, turn it in. And maybe Lister is just a very practical learner. And having, like, Crichton on hand to work side alongside, then he's actually learning things in a way that, that he couldn't for, like, a school test. Plus, he has to do them, you know? I think they're both valid points because um, I think it's really just that Lister doesn't care. And when yeah, he when true. he did his officer's exam, choosing the chef's exam for a person with no taste buds is probably <laughs> the worst one to pick. <laughs> a chef has to test their test their work at some point in the process. A plot that would be revisited, not surprisingly, <laughs> in Futurama when Bender decided to become a chef. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out that Matt Groening and and J.K. J.K. Rowling, both big Red Dwarf fans. Had to. Speaking of, in the episode after Felix Felicis, now we have the Imperio curse. What? What? Anyway. I should point out, Bender's, Bender's food was exactly 10% below the lethal salt level. Exactly. <laughs> it's the saltiest thing I've ever eaten. And I once ate a big bowl of salt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's 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 get through the episode. Yes. Yeah, as Angela um, mentioned, uh, Lister takes charge and he orders Cat to get suited up so they can look among the wreckage for things to salvage, such as fuel and oxygen tanks. But just before that happens, Crichton spots two huge blobs on the radar, and it's, when they zoom in, it's two new red dwarfs. Here we see the parallel with the strawberry. Would it be red dwarfs or red dwarves? Ooh. Red dwarf eye. <laughs> <laughs> Dwarfuses. <laughs> dwarves. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite. We're dealing with proper now, and I'm going to say dwarfs. That's what yeah, I said. Which is correct. I was just dwarves with a V. D W A R V E S, as in Snow White and the Seven Sailors. Oh, both spelling spellings are used from. <laughs> Did you just say silos? Silos. <laughs> Oh, sorry, a really sailors. bad 70s um, adult version of Snow White. The Snow White okay. and the Seven Sailors. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> yes. So, there are two red dwarf eye. Yes, and Crichton quickly surmises that when the system was thrown into reverse, it didn't reverse the process, but the field of the beam projecting out, not in. 
Well, this is another thing that bugged me, right? Sorry, I didn't mean to shout there. I didn't mean to interrupt, right? But it wasn't Crane that was doing it. It was it was Lister. Lister was That's the one, true. and I was like, and yeah, well, little pet. Maybe that was something in the script that changed later on that they forgot to edit. No, the another thing that happened is like, oh, they had a, shortly after they said there was like um, they have a, a span of one hour, mm-hmm. but we didn't find out with the strawberry because that was the first time it happened. And then it was like, boom, they didn't grab the strawberry. They didn't see what happened, did they? They were too busy legging it. Yeah. yeah. Silly science fiction science. So if it had been Star Trek, we would have had real science because there would have been tachyon emissions. <laughs> tachyon emissions. Nanites. Nanites. Nanites and tachyon emissions. And Wesley Making Crusher would have saved the day. Tachyons are the mutated viruses of the Star Trek universe. <laughs> and if you can't figure it out, you just need a 12-year-old son of a doctor and he'll figure it out for you. <laughs> right. So we find out that uh, they accidentally reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Yes. And I know it's silly science and silly sci-fi, but it's also like it makes sense. Oh, the premise like, of it is 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 really good. I'm not disputing yeah. that. I just it, it, it's just like I said. Once you've watched it more than once, you, you notice these little things, and it, it niggles at you. I know, but it's not like some other Red Dwarf episodes sometimes where they're like, okay, this happened, and then this happened, and it has nothing to do with each other. They're like, they're like making it make sense, and they have an internal logic about it. It does. Which I appreciated. All sci-fi shows have episodes that, you know, don't plot well, but this one plotted well. It does, it does. And, um, yeah, we find out there's two new Red Dwarfs. So one of them is going to be succulent and divine, and the other is going to be great. <laughs> and so Kirk stumbles out of the transporter and doesn't realize that his evil self was left behind. Tell us both and stop. then he... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was the plot of The Enemy Within. <laughs> <laughs> They've all got beards. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Kat's a bit short-sighted and thinks that one of the ships is going to be better, so they might as well live on it. But then we find out that it only survives for an hour. No explanation. Uh-oh. Oh, well. It's convenient. There's got to be a reason why they can't just move in there, isn't there? <laughs> but Crichton, yeah. Crichton's plan is to combine both new ships to recreate the original by amalgamating the two copies. He makes Which it sound so simple. Yes. <laughs> then, we, then we see Starbag landing the new Red Dwarf. Uh, Lister and Cat head off to explore whilst Crichton and Rimmer look for a battery recharge. And it's pretty, Dwarf. Yes, it's very pretty. It's all white, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we should call this White Dwarf. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one's Scuzzy Dwarf. Just Scuzzy Dwarf. We've got some lovely music playing in the background and Cat comments that the air is better and makes him want to feel alive. Yeah. And um, Mr. decides to check out the food dispenser. And the ultimate test is having a pot noodle. Oh, yes. Do I don't know why he goes on about pot noodles. Hello. Oh, like you, have you ever had... You know, but pot noodles over here are quite... Well, uh, I mean, like, we, we just call them, uh, like, ramen cups um, is what we have here. It's a similar and thing, but different. different. Okay. Okay. I'm going to quickly pop back to um, my anecdotes here because this is where um, when I went into the set this is where they started filming it was Lister and Cat in this corridor okay so this is a set did they like build this new set or did they just like whitewash 
a part of the old set? I think it's, it was a mixture. Um, if you look closely, the ceiling, I think I remember in, I think it might have been in Hollow Ship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, this, this particular set, it was like in the middle, it was a very big room, and on like, on the far left there was Starbucks cockpit, on the far right there was the, the new bunk room, and in the middle was this, this sort of white corridor. And, um, unfortunately, it, as you can see if you're watching the episode, it's sealed, so I couldn't actually see Lister and the cat, I could only hear them. Aww. But, um, I'll, I'll get for them later on. Um, and, as you probably saw, it was, they used split screen technology, so yeah. they would have had to record both sets of conversations one after the other. Well, they used some split screen, and then, like, I noticed when they were doing the little uh, hippie play thing, then <laughs> I know that that was Crichton body double, like, because they just showed him from the back, and he didn't quite look like Robert Llewellyn. Oh, I'm, I'm going to dispute that because uh, Robert Llewellyn in the commentary says it was him and the difference really? in the size is actually because there's no robot suit underneath the, the robe. Oh, oh okay. okay. That makes sense. And um, while we're just at this point, we should point out that this is the first episode Juliet May directed. Um, up mm-hmm. until this point, she had um, mainly been filming... There was a show on the BBC which was going around filming stand-up comics live. Mm-hmm. And that was where her experience lied. She came to this actually, in her own words, never having heard of a split screen before. Hmm. And she that gets was a good job. Yeah, I, yeah. There was um, the split screen work was very good. There was really only one point in this whole episode, uh, and that was when they did, I guess, green screen instead when Lister was shooting himself. That I, oh, I was could, like, yeah, you could, yeah, that looked pretty bad. You could see the furry. You could see the, the furry furriness around. Re, uh, normal Lister, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. he was he was he was lit di- uh, lit differently. But you know, I, but for an episode with this much uh, body doubling and then you know using perspective to switch from conversation to conversation, they it, for that to be the only time that I said, "Wait a minute, there aren't two of those actors." That's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Another problem that arose with her work is she. It is very normal in BBC at this time that demarcation of jobs was very very absolute. And she was mm-hmm. really refusing to let Doug and Rob into the post room to help her with the edit, so... Ah. Oh. Can so. I just say hello to Heath and Angela's cat? Oh, <laughs> sorry. She's really wanting me to feed her, but it's like... It's not an time. ...hour and a half until time. And she's trying to pull my headphones out, too. This, <laughs> is, this is the point where the cast started losing faith in Juliet May. And because they lost face, a lot of the time in the rehearsal room, they were spending more of their time discussing the points of the episode rather than rehearsing. Mm. So this is the point where really Rob and Doug started saying, well, maybe we've chosen the wrong director here. Well, apparently after this episode, she, she said, uh, I think it was this one of the Inquisitor, that she, that said, she, she came out and said, maybe Red Dwarf, not for me, and yeah. then let Rob and Doug do the last two episodes. I, don't, I can't remember remember which the last two were. I know um, Juliet did the first part of the following episode that we're going to be reviewing next week. Yep. Mm-hmm. She did that. But I can't remember which her last episode was. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the um, Terraform. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The final that straw was the, the POV the... confusion. Right. She didn't know what POV was. Yeah. yeah. 
but it was okay. a mutual decision. It was basically they both decided that this wasn't really her scene, and she has gone on to become a very successful director. She hasn't hurt her career in any way. It really was an issue of lack of genre-specific experience, not one of talent. So, Okay, so let's get to the hippie crew of White Dwarf. All right, yeah, here's where things get interesting. Angel Cat and Angel Lister suddenly appear, and they're dressed in robes and sandals. And they hang out. Do you think they look good? No. Yeah? <laughs> Crichton in a robe was weird, because he still had the um, front socket thing on his yep. stomach. And I just kept looking at it like it looked like a square beer, beer belly. It's <laughs> 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 like, oh, Crichton, you've let yourself go. <laughs> Obviously sneaking a few of Holly's concoctions behind the scenes. Yes. <laughs> Some of those delicious, delicious higher strawberries. Speaking of Holly, um, what do you think of Dutch Holly? <laughs> I liked it. Like Dutch Holly? Should they what? Dutch hat on? Oh, okay. I was calling that a wimple. Oh, what? Like a like a nun's hat wimple thing. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was like an almost a reference to like a, a you know Virgin Mary iconography with sort of the blue head covering and. It's pretty. Hmm. And they called her sister, which made me think she was a bit of a nun. Mm-hmm. Well, but they call everybody brother. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Even the bad selves that they haven't met yet. Yeah, they were they were the mad knocks, remember? <laughs> yeah. Well, we find out that these are their spiritual sides that have been extrapolated from their being. But Cat can't understand why any version of himself would, wouldn't be dressed coolly. Okay, here's where I wasn't buying it. I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit to where they're all in a room together. Um, Crichton says that the brain records everything and it's stored in the subconscious and that the higher forms are all the higher things for that. And I'm I'm cool with that. Except for Crichton. He is a machine. He records everything anyway. He has no subconscious. Um, But you're forgetting that uh, Lister and uh, Brooke is... What's the word I'm looking for? Programming. Broke is yeah. programming, but that's not a matter of programming. That's a matter of design. But in designing uh, a being with artificial intelligence, perhaps designing a subconscious subroutine was necessary to emulate human behavior. It's like he has his guilt circuit that we learned about a while back, so maybe that was all tied in. Like They designed the functions of his brain to replicate human brain behavior as much as possible. Just checking the episode list to see if an element's been introduced yet to see whether I'm going to raise it or not, so... Okay. And um, has still got a personality. Yes. So. Uh, personality is part of the subconscious, maybe. I know. I think, I think, I think that, that line was genius, by the way, the fact that the only... Everything... You, your brain remembers every single thing you've written up. Because it is true, we only use, what, what, 3 4% of our brain? Well, they used, to, like they, they used to say, like, we use about 10% of our brain, but now they're finding that they just didn't know how to look. Yeah, um, MRIs have debunked that to a certain extent. Okay. Like, we still don't know what everything is doing in there, but it does stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but but even then, like, I don't know, that explanation of it I thought was weird. I, I think I like the we're your higher potential 
Um, and and yes, we have had this better. element introduced. With DNA, we found out that, that Crichton does have actually some organic elements to his brain function. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah. that, that's just a weirdness on my part. Sorry. Well, what I liked about the about this part was the bit where, like you mentioned, um, the fact that the the white dwarfers, uh, everything that are good, every single thing that's been taken out of them that are really good, and that's what they become. Yeah. And they're still annoying. Oh yeah, yeah. So it just goes to show you need a bit of good and bad to be normal. Yeah, even even more. So, because they can't defend themselves, and they're just cloying. <laughs> Again, very similar to the resolution of of the enemy within the old Star Trek episode. There, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that it's it's a uh, Star Trek wasn't the first to do it either. That's a classic sci-fi trope. Just the sort of, you know, do we need the monsters within us? What would we be without them? Yeah, struggle and, and hide is the answer. Indeed. Can I can I say one one other thing as well? Um... Lister, Cat, uh, and Rimmer deserve an Oscar for their performance. Yes, was so I genius. was really digging it. Yeah, I could feel the agony. I was, I, could feel. I was watching it, and I was like, you know, they were talking about haikus and poetry reading. I was like, Andrea and Heath would love this ship. <laughs> Why? We don't. Because you're English majors, and they're like haikus and poetry and. I'm not a poetry person. <laughs> and I'm I'm not in literature at all. I'm in technical communication, which is more like instruction manuals <laughs> and web design. So. Yeah, but you'd be with, you'd be with Crichton, who probably yeah. have a thousand instruction manuals. <laughs> yeah, I would be in the corner, like, uh, criticizing each of the poems, because they would probably be bad. I'm really not into interpretive dead, so I was trying, I was no. tempted to throw things at the, the TV at that point. <laughs> but I, it was hilarious. I think it gave both actors an opportunity to, to sort of show out a bit, and it was nice. Anywho, back to Russ. Indy. Yeah, this, this, the part where they're, they're all sitting on the couch comfortably, they're chatting about the high sounds, and, um, they, they quite mentioned the trip the case has only got half of the parts they need. To get things back to normal, which makes me wonder how the rest of Red Dwarf is running if half the parts are missing. Mm. But nonetheless, another plot hole. Um, yeah, so I was watching them film this scene, but um, I couldn't actually hear what they were saying because this was quite a distance from me. And mm-hmm. unlike when they normally have audience people in, it's going through amp- amplification so everyone can hear it. But when I was there, this was during the day, and there was none of that going on, so I was only hearing the real the real voice projection or or lack of. <laughs> but um, at least I got to see it. Yeah, got to hang out with the actress. Got to be creepy. Well, I was nearly twenty before I first saw a television show filmed live, so I'm I'm quite envious of you, actually. I've never seen a TV show filmed live. Me neither. Me neither. But I have met, like, celebrities at conventions, and I get really creepy around them. <laughs> like, I don't she know how to Will Wheaton, a creepy stare. When we met Jonathan Frake, she was, like, totally... Oh, 
goodness. I can't help thinking with Wheaton that he would have found that funny because he's got that quirky sense of humor uh-huh. in real life. He did. Yes, yeah, we were actually in line to meet Felicia Day. Felicia Day and her ninjas. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Will Wheaton was seated right next to her, and Angela got the stairs just gazing upon his face. <laughs> and, like, so and, like, he, creepy like, grinning. Turned his head and noticed. And, like, I, she was giving... Can I just apologize for my cat now? <laughs> <laughs> Your cat has a, has a funny voice. Well, my cat's deaf. Aww. Oh, the cat's deaf? Yeah. She, she can't hear anything, Aww. and so she, she meowed louder. Aww. I was worried for a second, because that's the exact tone my cat uses when she's about to bring me a present that she hasn't killed. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little bit like Elfie before she coughs up a present for us. Yeah. On, uh, yeah, uh, where was I with that? Yeah, so, so Will Wheaton sees Angela staring, so he like, sort of smiles and gives her a little nod like, okay crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was it that you met, that you met Will Wheaton? Two years? Yeah. So, two and, well I guess almost three now. So Big Bang Theory had already started? Oh yeah. Yes. See, if that would have been me, I went, shh, you evil bastard. You hurt someone's <laughs> feelings. But he likes yeah, playing that arrogant that arrogant yeah. Hollywood kid thing. He loves playing that part. So, mm-hmm. um, and if people haven't done it, seriously, check out Will Wheaton's webpage. He does these reviews of the episodes of Star Trek he was in, which yes. are hilarious. Yes. They are so great. Anyway, Red Dwarf <laughs> is a show <laughs> that we like to watch. So we've now got a reason for the for them to visit the low ship because they need those spare parts. Just and we knew we had to go there. Well, that's right. We knew it was going to happen, but now we've got a reason. Now, was was the low ship the pump house? Uh, those scenes where Lister was running, it looked a lot like the pump house that's been used in some other scary sets. No, I it, think some it, of the post shots might have been. Mm. Well, the bits that I saw were all in the cargo bay, that which, which we saw quite a lot of in Series 3, but they've the, yeah. remade it. With the, the empty box, box room, yeah. <laughs> That, that stores explosives where you can hit and die suddenly. <laughs> yeah, so just before they head there, we, we see um, the, the mad monks come in and they're performing a little music and dance for the crew. <laughs> and um, yeah, Lister's holding an interesting looking glass harp and um, he was meant to strum it in time with the music, but he forgot. Ah, uh, yeah. See, that, that reminded me of Spock's harp. On. And do oh. her a song. Uh-huh. I thought it was a space boomerang. Yeah. <laughs> the, Enterprise. Was, the thing about space boomerangs, they always come back. <laughs> <laughs> She's referencing... Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a gu- they always come back, but in, in a different space-time continuum. In old Silver Age Flash comics, then there was a villain, Captain Boomerang, <laughs> who... Wait, was his name Captain Boomerang? His name was Captain Boomerang. Yes. Who routinely would strap Flash to a giant boomerang and try to shoot him off into space. But thematically speaking, it's a boomerang. It's going to come back. (laughs) And it always does. His plan is always flawed. But he sticks to his gimmick. Yeah. Plus, like, he didn't even have any superpowers. It was just like toy factories were like, you know what's going to really catch on as the next big toy? Boomerangs. Let's just get a random Australian guy to come and market these things. And then he likes the costume, so he's like, I'm going to be a supervillain now. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what Australians do. Right, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually an embarrassing... Crimes. 
just to dispel a little myth about um, boomerangs, it's only a very small portion of them that come back. They're actually their actual function is to hunt kangaroo. So if it comes back, it missed. See that? That's what Australians do. They'll say, "Okay, here's this big old animal that you know can punch and kick and is really, really heavy. Let's hunt it with a small stick that we could throw it." <laughs> <laughs> that's why Australia is awesome. <laughs> Even if Wallace Shawn maintains that it's completely peopled with criminals, I disagree. <laughs> hey, it's not their fault. It's the British fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went there. No, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta admire the, the logic of the judges of the period. Hey, you've been really naughty. Let's send you a place with wide open spaces, free land, really nice climate. <laughs> <laughs> Where you can farm sheep, get yep. really rich. Nin- 97% less raw sewage in the street. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Red Dwarf. In history cast with <laughs> the Red Dwarf entry. This is a really good episode. I don't know why we keep it getting is, derailed. Know, yeah, okay. We we gotta we gotta push. Okay, let's go. Yeah, uh, we see uh Holly appear on the screen looking like a man, and then she informs everyone that they've had a fake distress call from the other ship. And obviously the higher selves aren't selfish at all or scared, so they suggest that they should go and help. And the regular dwarfers are like, great, we can go get our machine. (laughs) And then there's like an awkward scene of Crichton packing up for a few seconds before we decide to move the plot. Yeah, that was weird. It does stand out a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So so just before this scene started, uh, because I was there for that bit as well, um, we broke for lunch. Triple egg and chutney sandwich at all? Mm-hmm. No, no, not exactly. But, um, yeah, we went to the canteen. It was in a large conservatory at the back of the building. <laughs> Irradiated haggis. Yeah, There's only one thing I can remember, which I'll get to, but I can't remember what the rest of it was. But, um, yeah, I've got a fuzzy picture of Robert Llewellyn and Hattie having lunch, which you can see on the site. Um, yeah, the embarrassing thing was, was um, see, we got in there quite late, and... Um, so I, I picked my lunch and sat down, and then Danny John George came in last and um, and threw a hissy fit, but in a joking way, when he found out there was no chocolate pudding left. Oh, no. Did you take the last chocolate pudding? That's right, I had, I had the cat's chocolate pudding, and yeah, I feel so guilty about it. I'm curious to know if this is also the day that Craig Charles did his nut at Rob Grant and Danny John Jules. Because um, Rob Grant had been sitting to the side of the set on one of the shooting days making a caricature portrait of, of Craig Charles in the low, low costume. And apparently it was exaggerated even by caricature standards, which Danny John Jules then turned into a button which he wore into the canteen and apparently <laughs> Charles did not appreciate it. No, it must have been a different day then. No, it was the chocolate pudding day. <laughs> yeah, chocolate pudding day, and if I ever meet him, I'll have to mention it, because he might remember that. So after lunch, <laughs> we went back into the studio, and um, obviously they they went off into makeup and everything. So I got a quick tour of the set, and obviously there's some photos there to look at again. Um, I, I, I sat in one of the Starbucks seats uh, in the cockpit. Nice. I lay down on the on the bed, I got strapped in. Uh, I had to walk around the cargo bay through the boxes, and I got to hold um, a prototype bazooka that wasn't actually used in the show, because in that scene, which you mentioned earlier, we see uh, the low lister firing at, um, at the normal lister. Um, yeah, there was going to be a different weapon, but they ended up using the classic one. Cool. But, there was a, but you can, if you want to see what the other one would have looked like, you can look at my picture. 
Oh yeah, then we went back to sit down and um that. Um yeah, the higher cells and the normal ones step into the cargo bay. It's all very dark and moody and a bit dirty as well. Lister suggests they split up to search for the trip locator in a quicker fashion. Because that's always gonna work out. <laughs> Let's split up, guys. Shaggy and Scooby will go over there and <laughs> Like zoinks! Um, so, here's the question. So, I mean, they conveniently enough killed off the angel versions of themselves, but, I mean, about when, when good dwarf and bad dwarf fuse, then it made the original red dwarf again. Mm-hmm. If red dwarf had not been destroyed, uh, or if the half the clones hadn't been destroyed, then after they rejoined everything, then would there have been two red dwarfs and two rimmers and two listers and two cats? And I think if they had done that, then the other red dwarf would have just gone away. And <laughs> well, no, because because no, uh, um, they they reconstituted the only red dwarf that they have now from the good and bad red dwarf. Once it's reamalgamated, it's permanent. Hmm. I don't know what you're asking. That, that red that red dwarf blew up was just a, a fluke, um, because of of a power outage. Um, the original the original strawberry was still there. Yeah. So if they would have fused back together, bad strawberry and good strawberry, without eating them, you would have had two original strawberries. Mm. So much I haven't given much consideration to that. But I mean, they they systematically killed half of everything that was cloned, so that didn't happen. But I have to wonder. I don't know. It's another that has been accounted for. <laughs> yes. So you see the high Crichton get shot five times, and he still doesn't. My accident. He doesn't get angry about it, does he? And, um, Very sure. Lister bravely throws his gun down and goes to rescue Crichton. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. another pop back there because I did see that filmed as well. And um, on the original tape, uh, when Lister threw his bazookoid down. Um, it obviously made a clattering noise, so they so the, the director then called out to go and get a mat so it would land without making a noise. Well, why why wouldn't they want the clattering noise? Like that's normal. Yeah, it would make it too obvious that it's made out of plastic. I think. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, space metal clatters <laughs> like plastic, so accounted <laughs> um, for. They, they they abuse their actors against once again because um. I don't know if it was in the, the live shoot or in the pickups, but one of the little charges on Robert Llewellyn for the gunshots actually did cause him serious burns. <laughs> Come oh, on, guys. So rough with their crew. Hey. Well, I did see him afterwards, and he, he didn't he didn't complain about it to me. I know I was used to it. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. It's not like you could replace Crichton with another actor. Oh, well, oh wait. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Although I think at this point probably not because he has completely yeah. owned the character by now. I know. No, no, we'll just get an episode where there's a different Holly, another different Holly, and another different Crichton, and a different actor is playing Cat. They'll say one sentence about it, and then the whole episode will be that uh, the camera has been turned upside down, and they're in <laughs> the upside down universe. Oh, and not address the change in characters at all. Well, he owned the character so completely that the one the one actor that the American producers absolutely insisted on was Robert Llewellyn. The best. Well, we also see High Cat get shot, and then and then a, then a grenade is thrown at them, and they marvel at it. 
And it's shiny. Like Lister and Rimmer run away. They're scared of that. Sparkly. And I swear that grenade came off a Monty Python set. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, five. Three, sir. Three, sir. Three. <laughs> and, yeah, it's... As quick as it sounds, that was the last part that I saw, and um, they were already breaking up for the evening at that point, and um, that was about 9pm in the evening, so everyone sort of left the studio, and I quickly got to meet the crew, uh, I had some photos taken, as you can see. Um, I remember Craig Charles was a bit chatty, but I can't remember what he said. <laughs> uh, I was given a copy of the script as a souvenir and, um, and a signed photo as well. I, I and now there was a bit of a row because that hand grenade was actually a stick of live dynamite. <laughs> uh, <they> just <laughs> yeah. threw at the actors and they were a bit angry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, we're halfway through the show now, and um, so that's my story to end. So we can just go through the rest of the episode. Now. Sure, sure. Awesome. So, um, yeah, Lister meets his lower self, who promptly spits on him and then tries to shoot him. Yeah, yes. he was a weird cowboy. I don't know why he was a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> or a 70s, but, 70s biker. Yeah. Cat is, of course, has saber teeth. And Now, I didn't actually notice. I wanted to go back and look. Did Angel Cat have fangs at all? Did he have the same regular cat fangs? Yes. Okay, I wondered if since Evil Cat mm-hmm. had um, had saber teeth, if if Cat Prime had no sharp teeth at all. But anyway, yeah. yeah so and, and we learned that he did in fact kill the other cats and make clothes out of them. Yes, because mismatched cat fur. Well, I was wondering, do you think the, the low cat was eating the remains of the high cat in that scene because he was eating some flesh? That's what oh. I had. That's what I had in mind at the time too. I don't even think of that. Okay, but That'd the... That takes cannibalism to a whole new level. Seriously, the best low version of any of them is Rimmer. Oh, without a doubt. Yes. For oh, that was the best. I mean, that not only was the outfit, you know, kind of funny at first, but once he started delivering lines, he was scary. Uh-huh. Like, like, Lister got... Low Lister got annoying after a while, that giggle. I was like, okay, dude, chill. But yeah, I was, I was scared of Rimmer. Oh, Hattie's actually had a Hattie's had a bit of a, a desk there from um, from Chris Barry at one point because I've actually seen them in an interview where she suggested that was his street clothes and he didn't have to dress up for that interview. Didn't have to dress up for that for the show, I should say. <laughs> didn't even know the camera was on. <laughs> it's just how he is. <laughs> She's really good at those sort of just off-the-cuff quips. If you ever see her in interviews, she's brilliant to watch. <laughs> Low Rimmer hits uh, Lister with a hollow whip, which is in a the face. Hollow yes, ship, it is. And actually creates a continuity it. error. Because this is yeah, where they get the hollow whip. Originally, the hollow whip was supposed to be a whip that could touch holograms, but I guess it's it's a two-way thing. It somehow exists in both the hollow and corporeal world. Well, it's actually oh, this is where they first in in shooting order. This is where they first get the whip, and they they then refer oh. to it in an earlier episode in terms of <gasps> hollow ship. Um, gotcha. Oh. Referred it in hollow ship when yeah, and aired them out of it. Why do they always air episodes out of order? I don't know. Sometimes it makes sense. 
like with the um, wax war thing, but but meltdown, yeah, yeah. Well, they tried um, putting them on in production order on the video release, but people hated it because it, a lot of cases it made it worse. Because then things that had been edited to fix the the airing yeah. order, then then yeah. makes sense. But I just I don't get why. Like, I guess continuity really wasn't that big of a issue of a thing. It just yeah, it just seems like that you would want things to reference future things and plan it that way. But it seems like they just sort of make the episodes and then like throw darts at a board and say, yep, there we go. That's the order we're going to air. Yeah. It, it, it's like war scenario, but it's like uh, Firefly when it aired. Then they shot the pilot. They were going to show the pilot. And then the network was like, oh, wait, we're not going to show the pilot because uh, we don't like it. Uh, shoot another episode and we'll show that. So all the setup and everything they couldn't do. So they tried to rewrite the second episode to be more piloty. And yeah, in a way that introduces like eleven characters. <laughs> well, I, I'm volunteering to join Paul's anti-fly fly club, to be honest. But I've got biased reasons. So, so were you another Dark Angel fan? Uh, no, my brother is a television writer, and he had a show up against it for one of our networks, and he lost out to it. So, oh. well, you know, losing What's out to he? Joss Whedon, there's no shame yeah. in that. I think he'd disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, hey, be mad at Fox, man. I mean, if if they were cutting out other good shows to air it, they could at least give it two seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, Red, Red Dwarf. Dwarf. Yeah. Well, next we're in the Lowe's gritty-looking science room, and Lister's strapped on the bed, and he's still unconscious after that hollow whipping. And horror of horrors. Mm-hmm. Low Holly, with her dark hair. <laughs> that was yeah. awesome. Absolutely. She looked Probably. gorgeous. <laughs> I think that's Hattie's best moment in the series, to be honest. It was just, I was ruffling to use the net. But she was like, barely, like she was like out of focus. Like she was barely, they, I, I, we barely got a decent look at her. Well, well the, 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 the that red dwarf, everything's decaying. Yeah. Uh, okay. But, and but she still, played into she looked great. That she played into it so well. It's sort of that sort of shaky voice and. I don't know. That, that's probably my favourite moment in this episode is Holly's appearance at the low Holly. Hmm. We, we see Crichton uh, place a device into this the spine and we also find yes. out why they're being so nasty because they want to steal Starbuck and escape the low ship because they realise it's the king as well. So they point their wand at him and say, Imperio! Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> and of course the physical humour here is great. Okay, yes. um, oh, the... the- uh, yeah, um, tarantula uh, eating. Uh, uh-uh, yeah. uh-uh. <laughs> Dude, I had to turn away. Especially <laughs> since they've already established how afraid he is of tarantulas. Well, I'm like, dude, how are you keeping it together? <laughs> can, I, can I just say one thing, though, regarding that? To be fair, at least it isn't the typical thing where he picks the spider up and he moves it really, really, really slowly to his mouth. Uh-huh. It was just like, pick up straight, whoom, straight in the mouth. Oh, uh-uh. I, I'm, I need brain bleach after that. <laughs> Apparently the spider's really nice, though. <laughs> it's, a trained, it's a trained tarantula, and apparently it's very friendly, and Aww. even had he played with it for a while. It's still a nightmare. I've known several people with pet tarantulas that claim that they're good pets. I... Aww, no, they're not. But there was a bit of a row on set because it was a Goliath bird eater spider and it did fire t- 
tons of itching hairs into uh, Craig Charles's face, and they did, in fact, make him eat it live. <laughs> so, that wasn't a Goliath bird eating spider. I know. That's the hey, size of a Goliath bird eating spider. Let's talk about not spiders. <laughs> that would be great. A terrifying critter that's not in Australia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, next we see how the lows exist. Um, a bit like the highs, they extrapolated that these are all the negative traits, such as spite and jealousy. The parts that enjoy watching horror movies, they're cruel and selfish. But the parts that enjoy listening to um, <laughs> music for elderly people... <laughs> see, hey, I want to see Revenge of the Giant Mutant or the Mutant Splat Gore Monster. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that 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 does sound really cool. I agree. But who wants to listen to Peter Perfect plays tuneful tunes for elderly ladies? <laughs> elderly ladies or Hammond karaoke classics? <laughs> oh, that'd be Rimmer. Yeah. Oh, uh, quick quick question on this scene. Uh, toasty toppers. Toasted tapers? What's toasted tapers, Brussels? <laughs> Toasty toppers <laughs> are basically, it's a jar of filling, and it's like cheese and ham or something like that, and you, you get a slice of, you get a slice of bread, you put it in the toaster, and here, here's the ingenious oh. thing when it comes to advertising the name, you get this jar, you open the lid, you scoop it, and you put it on the toast, uh-huh. and then you grill it. Oh. Wait. Wait, so you have to make the toast, top it, and then grill it. Yeah, just just for a few seconds, and then eat. Uh-huh. And then it's lovely. Is that what you do with beans on toast? No, no. Beans That's on always toast, been the just... weirdest thing to me. No, beans on toast, you just get the, you get the toast, cook some beans, put the beans on toast, and that's it. Yeah. Hmm. So, and you said, like, it's like, what, ham and cheese, then? Yes. Yeah, stuff like There's certain different... I haven't seen them in ages, so... Okay. I think they are really nice. I think there's a devil ham one, isn't there? Isn't there? That's not too bad. Okay. Not a clue. I'm going to research it now. <laughs> We've got a similar well, thing. My next thing on my red dwarf food to eat list, apart from the <laughs> <not> well either. <laughs> yeah, we got a similar thing called Pex paste, mm. which some of the flavours aren't too bad, but some of them I think I'd rather eat the tarantula. So if you mix pig's paste and Vegemite, then is it like the ultimate meal? Oh no, definitely not. And if you ever try Vegemite, <laughs> if you ever try Vegemite, do not go with the premix with the Vegemite and cheese. Vegemite and cheese is very nice, but for some reason they've used the grossest possible cheese they could find in the premix version. I'm sorry, are you saying trees? I think no, cheese. Cheese. Oh, cheese. Okay. Gotcha. I, I heard Vegemite and trees, and I'm like, well, you eat. Yes, Vegemite grows on trees. <laughs> I suppose it must. Australia is an amazing place. <laughs> it is. <laughs> actually, jar and all. That'd be yeah. that'd be better than where it actually does come from. Believe me. Vegemite's uh, the original Vegemite's the sludge out of the brewing vat in a beer factory. Well, hey, that's pretty much how molasses came to be, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. And you know, we're from the south. We have pig cracklings. It's true. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm part Aborigine, so I've got a wide palate, but. There's one American food I'll never touch, and that's a Smoky Mountain Oyster. Just the idea of it's a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a no. And you know, and uh, there's a lot of, of organ meats that I'm cool with. You know, liver. Ugh. Bring it on. Uh, um, I don't like liver. Have you, have you, you tripe? I don't think I've ever tried tripe, um, just because it looks like really fatty. Yeah. But I think it's perfectly named personally. 
But now gizzards, I've tried yeah. that. Uh, gizzards, livers, yeah. uh, hearts, but I, I don't think I've, no. I'll, I'll draw a lot the same line at the oyster, that, that particular type of oyster. <laughs> hey, let's start talking about spiders again. <laughs> <laughs> so the Goliath egg bird eating spider <laughs> is, um, roughly the size of a piece of paper or piece of paper. <laughs> and it scares the crap out of me. But not as scary as um, a spider who is eating tripe. Or vegetables. <laughs> or vegetables. Marmite is amazing. <laughs> That's one where English people and Australian people disagree. I like Marmite. He likes Vegemite. Yeah, but we each so tend to hate the other's version of it, yeah. even though it's pretty much yeah. the same thing. It's not. <laughs> Vegemite, Marmite, let's call the old thing. Well, it's not, it's, it's not the same thing because uh, Vegemite oh, no, no. is vegetarian-ish. And Marmite is from beef. No, it's not. It's beef extract, isn't it? No, it's not. It's yeast. Yeah. Oh, yeast extract. Oh, it's which well, is what is Oh, real beef yeah. extract, isn't it? Yeah. So, Red Dwarf <laughs> is yeah. about some people on a spaceship. So, uh, just let's just no, I found some other toast toppers. <laughs> There's the ham and cheese you can get from Tesco, for all you British people that are listening. Um, there Ooh, is that chi- the place with the horse meat? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I was going to say, it has to have a horse flavour. There's chicken and mushroom flavour, and there is a uh, mushroom and bacon flavour, as well as ham and cheese. Oh, mushroom and bacon I might be willing to try. They're, they're actually made by Heinz now, so... Yeah. Might be slightly edible, who knows. Anything to do with Heinz, I flash back to the goodies. <laughs> Tim Brooke Taylor's little sketches, uh, ad- advertising sketches on the goodies. So, back to the birdie in Glow yes. Spider. Uh, Lister kills himself. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, he kills himself and he kills the new Rimmer as well, doesn't he? No, no, he stands the edge of... Yeah, a pretty uh, brutal there, crushing the, the light bee like yeah. that. That was cool looking. Like... And it wasn't, wasn't Robert Llewellyn's... It wasn't Craig Charles or Robert Llewellyn's week. The first time that Robert Llewellyn, Llewellyn crashes through the wall in the low Crichton... He actually did, um, according to the stories I've been told, knock out Craig Charles for about two or three seconds. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Because he actually hit him fair square in the back of the head instead of getting around the neck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been a surprise. Um, well, then we saw the, cr- the real cat, the real Cratton cr- and, uh, and real Rimmer. And, um, they're hanging they're out. where Lister is. And then he appears with an axe to try and kill Crichton. Brilliant bit of scripting here. I love the um, Crichton part, which I am saving for later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, now, see, I'm wondering why Crichton keeps getting hit with an axe because he was in quarantine as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was just axing for it. Or maybe he's, he's accident prone. Pun for it's a ten paces, people. <laughs> that was lame. They managed to subdue this remote-controlled lister with some chloroform. Which, um, he keeps on him? Yeah, just, you know, in his pocket, kind of like Lister, whenever he needs a lighter, just summons it from the ether, and, and Crichton just <laughs> some chloroform. From the ether. I, like, I like to think that, I don't, even though it's... Oh, ether. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <clears throat> I like, I'd like to think that maybe, and I know it's not feasibly possible because he's a robot, but maybe um, chloroform is Crichton's way of getting high. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Just when everyone's everyone's asleep and then Crichton, Crichton's just there, right? 
Chloroform. At first he puts everyone else to sleep with the chloroform, and then he can have his chloroform party. Yeah. Is everyone else old enough to remember school stencil machines? They used no, to send kids on the job to, to use a stencil machine to put out all the stencils for the school, and that stuff was potent when you were about 10 years old. Uh-huh. It was, um, a, I think it was a metho-based thing, with the metho being very, very strong. Wow. And you'd actually wow. come out of the, 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 the assistance office with a bit of a high from printing out the stencils. Awesome. It's like um, Darren knows me so well. He knows my <laughs> life story. <laughs> I did wonder, though, if the chip is controlling his central nervous system, then, like, I kind of figured that his body would just keep on going, chloroform or no. But, uh, I don't know. Well, his brain shuts off, so he can't... Obviously, that, that spinal... Tap. Yeah. Use, <laughs> and his eyes would have been closed, so they wouldn't have been able to see what he was doing. Mm. Yeah. So they turn the spinal tap up to eleven, and then <laughs> okay, now all right. So they have to take off. There's some hijinks, uh, tossing the the spinal thingy back and forth. And the low list is hiding inside the cabinet. And cat straight up murders. <laughs> <laughs> can, 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 can I can I let you into a little thingy? Do you remember um, Inquisitor? Yes. You know the guy that played the new Lister. Yep. In, yes. He's the guy that was the low Lister in the cupboard. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. What I don't get right. Do you know? Right after that, he takes us off. He's he's sat on the um the right. Crichton's taken the spinal implant out and thrown it into the back of space book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Book. And um. <laughs> Lister sits on it. Yeah. It's a spinal implant. Um, that hit his tailbone. Yeah, the mm-hmm. He's coccyx. Mm-hmm. He's coccyx. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. That must have been... Um, ooh. I don't I'm leaving those jokes alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not touching that one with a tin... Well, anyway. So, moving on. Um, yeah, Crichton decides to destroy the, the implant, but just before that, Cat decides that he wants to keep a hold of the remote control so for a week. <laughs> you know, it's usually Rimmer that becomes the butt of the jokes. Oh, oh. But, but it, it was nice to see. That was two out of ten. Blister. <laughs> oh, great. Hey, I have an awesome cat picture. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, oh, that's the end of the episode, I thought isn't it? it is the end of the episode. Woo! So. Uh, let's switch over to the feedbacks on the Facebooks. Hey, I'm almost there. Facebooks. We almost, we managed to do a half hour episode and only an hour and a half. Wow. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one told me. Oh, no, no. It's uh, the, the show we're reviewing is only half an hour and we've talked about it three long times as long as it actually went. Well, we had to talk about other things. <laughs> yes. Like not spiders. <laughs> yes. So, let's start reading these quickly. Ross, see you there. Yes, I'm here. Would you like to tell us what uh, what scene <laughs> will be shot? Uh, well, the very first one they reshot. The strawberry one? Yeah. Okay. Ah, cool. You said reshot, cool. didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Your, your, your comments, the first comment on yeah. the... Um, oh, in the pickups. You're like, we should note that Rob and Doug went back and, and reshot a few scenes of the episode. Yeah, on the DVD extras, um, we see the original scene that Juliet May filmed and edited, and it's, it's really bad. You can see why Rob and Doug wanted to go and redo it again. I'll be honest, I really should 
go back on my DVDs and actually watch the extras and stuff. The only extras I really watch on the DVDs are the smeg-ups. Mm. And the commentaries, and, and that's about it. And I feel really bad, I really should. James Curran says, Excellent episode, Holly will be Angela's highlight. Well, you're wrong. The highlight was um, Dr. Frankenfurter Rimmer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ewan says, an excellent episode. A lot of funny moments, and I really like the triplicator idea as well. Uh, the reveal of low version of Rimmer, there we go, has to be one of the funniest Red Dwarf moments ever. The only thing that bothers me is the low lister being randomly hidden in the cupboard and Cat somehow knowing he was there. Apart from that, Demons and Angels is great. Well, Cat has heightened feline senses and lower Rimmer smells horribly, so accounted for. Well, Sam mm. accounts for it by saying... Uh, Cat heard his giggling coming from the storage locker. Didn't like the high crew very much, just too nice and uninteresting. But the low crew, those guys were seriously messed up. True story. And one of the takes of the first scene, Craig Charles ate the rancid strawberry with maggots crawling in it. I'll always remember the first time I saw this episode and enjoying it a lot. Due to the preceding and following episodes, it feels like it doesn't get all the praise it deserves. Hmm. So, I was good. I was gonna read Ian's. So okay, uh, Lorraine says Rimmer channels Frankenberger. What's not to like? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Ian Ian Sands says uh, an episode that's usually enjoyable despite a number of problems, most notably in the production. Rob and Doug went back and reshot huge swaths of the episode the day after the series five wrap up party. Story wise, coming up with ten alternative versions of the crew was always going to be tricky. So the brushstrokes are rather broad at times, but it's still incredibly funny and holds together well, with the highlight being Rimmer's turnaround on the benefits of Red Dwarf Posse and Crane's big surprise for Lister. Indeed. Fun fact, see the Red Dwarf model that they blew up at the start of the episode? I own a piece of that. Well, not me, Ian does. Cool. Aww. Awesome. And uh, then... Sam- Go ahead. No, I was going to say that Sam starts to engage in a conversation with Ian about uh. the Red Dwarf model. Yeah. Yes, and I'm gonna right. I'm gonna say Ian is usually more right rather than me, and he says it's not the original model, so I'll take that back. Okay, either way. Well, thank you all for the feedback. Always appreciated. Uh, speaking of feedback, uh, let's uh, turn our mics down so we don't get feedback during this advertisement. What? Uh... Wake up. Go to work. Work. Come home. Eat dinner. Rot your brain out. Go to bed. Lather. Rinse. Repeat. Are you tired of an old humdrum life? Tired of things that just weigh you down and depress you? Wouldn't you rather just focus on things that are awesome? Tune into Nutty Bites. Find out what's awesome. Nutty Bites. org slash blog. And we're back, and it is time to rate this episode. Uh, so, uh, to get us start, well, goodness, we have two guests, don't we? Mm. Well, Darren, you were our guest last week, so Russ, you get to be our first guest, uh, Raider. Well, as I was there, it's got to be a perfect 10 out of 10 divine pop noodles for me. Aww. Nice. Okay. Darren? Uh, um, this is probably the weirdest Red Dwarf I've ever seen, but I still <laughs> love it. Uh, as we discussed, a lot of plot holes, so that's costing the mark, so I'm going to go 6 out of 10 rancid strawberries. Hmm. Aww. Okay. Um been a while since I've done this. Um I am gonna I, I like the first couple of times I saw it I thought it was just like a great episode. I mean like like people said, Rimmer 
with the suspenders. I mean, like like Lorraine said, what's not to like? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give. But the, but like I said, the uh, the plot holes. I know I've seen it. They do bug me, and I'm not going to give it as low as um, Darren. But I'm going to give it a seven and a half. No, a seven. Um, what a uh, space boomerang heart thing is. Out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, go ahead, love. Well, I really enjoyed this episode. It was great fun, great sci-fi fun, great red dwarf fun. Um, I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Uh, hollow whips. Nice. Um, I liked this episode quite a lot. There were some plot holes, but you know, they didn't really bug me because I was totally digging the gimmick of this episode. I think it worked. It was character based. It explored facets of the characters in fun and, uh, interesting ways. I'm going to give it nine out of ten woefully unprepared Starbucks. <laughs> so, quotes. uh, quotes. it is quote time. So, Russ, you want to lay a quote on us? Well, the one I wanted to say, uh, Angela already begged you a bit earlier, so I'll say another one. Oh. Yeah, I'll let her go. Oh, what was the one I said? You wanted Hollies, didn't you? Yes, yes I did, yes I did. Um, rude alert, rude alert. An electrical fire has knocked out my voice recognition unicycle. Many Wurlitzers are missing from my database. Abandoned shop. This is not a daffodil. Repeat, this is not a daffodil. Well, thankfully, Holly's unaffected. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to Russ. I'll go with this one. Well, I don't know if the Nobel Prize people run the fruit section, but if they do, you've got to be this year's hot pick. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I've got to look for another one now. Oh, no. Okay, I'll, right. I'll, I'll jump in. Oh, go, uh, go ahead, Derek. Extrapolate, waddle buddy, there is no way you are a part of me. I wouldn't be seen dead in sandals. I find clothes a distraction from the pursuit of higher goals. Well, that's weird. I find higher goals as distraction from the pursuit of clothes. Darren, your cat impression <laughs> is the best thing ever. <laughs> okay, you know, I was about to lay down this quote, but... um. I'm not sure here, because I was looking it up on a script site to make sure I got it right, and they may have changed a word here. Okay. What I thought I heard was, um, I want to hurt you, because I'm not a very nice person. I'm going to lash you within an inch of your life, and then I'm going to hurt you. Uh-uh. However, that uh, is wrong. apparently I miss, see, I, because I thought it was funny that, you know, last you within an inch of your life and then hurt you. I thought that was a nice, nope, that's not the mm-hmm. word. Nope. Have you? I'm going to last you within an inch of your life and then I'm going to have you. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. So that- that's even scarier. <laughs> um, someone get behind me. I'm going to come around behind you now, sir. Okay, great. And take me by surprise. I'm coming around behind you. Take it by surprise, sir. Get on with it. Surprise me. You may get an unpleasant sensation of chloroform. Don't be alarmed. Surprise me now. Here comes my surprise, sir. <laughs> I could have done that so much better. That reminded me of when Crichton said, uh, excuse me, sir, while I distract you for a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, those were some awesome quotes. Yes. Um, I thank both of our guests this week for stopping by. Uh, Russ, really cool getting the inside scoop on this episode. And if you haven't uh, looked at these pictures that he's put up, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and actually pin that post. Ooh, thank you. Uh, so it'll be near the top because that's really, really cool. 
Um, oh, I have to unpin the, oh wait, we have way too many pins. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so I'm not going to pin the post, but still, there's a bunch of pictures. It's, it's, it's awesome. we could we could unpin that one now because obviously. Yeah, but we're gonna have to put up the the next give us comments post pretty quick here. <laughs> okay, but and then everyone look at my picture because yes, it's all about me. Every, everyone look at Angela's picture. It is an awesome. I like. I love mine, but I think Angela's impresses me even more. Um, I like mine. I like yours too, Paul. I do too. Uh, and Darren, thank you again for filling in last minute there. Oh, that's great. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Hey, if you want to contact us, you can contact us on our Facebook group through a Dwarf Introcast. If you want to talk about spoilers, uh, you can join the Red Dwarf Introcast spoilers page. Yeah. There you go, on the Facebooks. You can email us at, uh, the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com, which they spell Gmail. Uh, you can, uh, tweet at us at... Uh, twitter.com slash reddwarfintro. Oh, and we hope that you will do all these things, you can, we like hearing. You can also give us a five-star review and leave us a rating on... You give, I could have said that the other way around. I will say that again. You can also give us a five-star rating and leave a review on iTunes. You can. You could. And should. You know what? Because, we haven't got uh, it. like, we, we give good value for your money. Because, um... Like, I think we, we give many, many, many times the value of all the, the money because we get zero money and anything times zero is still zero. So yeah, you're, it's a bar. And, and so yeah, our currency can be awesome likes on, on Facebook and reviews on the iTunes is, uh, it, it'll make us feel better. And that's really what this is all about is, uh, stroking our egos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, thank you for listening. Um, we will be back we've not soon. Finished with yet. The, we've not finished yet. Why? We have to theorize about the thing. Oh, you're right. Okay, well, I was about to say, because we will be back next week with the season ender, which is named what? Back to to reality. Try to steal my thunder. Back to reality. Snap the ghost, grab it. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Heath Eminem Fowler there with his hit song. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. I don't know. They there's a reality, and they get back to it. Boom. Theorized. <laughs> oh come on, that's lame. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Because I mean, as far as we know, they're in reality, uh, unless we find out that this whole first five seasons has been a fever dream while Lister was still in cryostasis. And if that is the case, I am going to stop the podcast. Y'all <laughs> will not hear from me anymore. If JR, uh, has not been killed, well, actually, that's not a very time. No, difference. no, let's back away uh, from that. Yeah, because the actor has passed yeah. away now. For years, though, that, that was the whole thing, is that, yeah, the death of JR was not actually a thing, and anyway, it was all a dream. Yeah. I'm hoping that's not what it is. I'm thinking maybe they're going to play like that's what it is. Like, Lister is going to be, He's going to wake up, everything's going to be normal, Red Dwarf will never have crashed, he will think that he's woke up. By the end of the episode, we will find out that a virally mutated brain parasite has attached to him and is trying to manipulate him in some way by making him think uh, that all the last five seasons of Red Dwarf has been a dream. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. I'll go with yours. I I got nothing. (laughs) Okay. Well, find out how utterly, utterly wrong we are. Uh, next week, um, when we review Back to Reality. Bye! Bye. See you later! I'll be the same.
Ha, 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 ha,